All right, um, so good morning. If you're new or visiting to River City Church, I want to say welcome. Uh, if you're not new or visiting, I guess it's okay too. Um, so most weeks, uh, Brandon, one of our pastors, is up here preaching, and uh, he's really gifted at that, but in the last few years, as Aaron mentioned, he's like spent some time uh, equipping and mentoring uh, men to learn how to preach, and this week it's my turn. So I'm really humbled and excited to dig into God's Word with you this morning. Uh, I'm married to Jenny. We have three kids, Evan, Owen, and Nora. All three of them have influenza A right now, so none of them are here. Um, so pray for them. They're getting over it. Uh, they were acting like they're rambunctious selves this morning, so I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, I work as an electrical engineer at Wright Height here in Dubuque, and we moved to the city, my family, met, my family and I, uh, back in July of last year. So for the last few weeks, we've been studying the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, and specifically God's uh, words to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and uh, the circumstances in these churches were really difficult. So each one of them was being threatened to various degrees by false teaching, uh, temptation towards idolatry and immorality, spiritual complacency, apathy, and persecution. And on top of that, their founding pastors, the apostles, have all been martyred, except for one, John, who's been abandoned to the desolate island at Patmos in the middle of the Mediterranean. And it's in the middle of all these really hard circumstances that the ruling, reigning, glorious King Jesus shows up to John in a vision with a message for these seven churches. And these were messages that were meant to comfort and strengthen them, to encourage and empower them towards faithful endurance, but also to re- correct and rebuke them in their sin. And these were messages that these churches desperately needed to hear, but this morning these are words that we need to hear as well. At the end of every one of these seven letters, there is this refrain, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this morning, what we need to ask, and throughout this series, is does the shoe fit? To what degree does our church or your life as an individual reflect what's going on in these churches? What does Jesus commend or condemn there? And to whatever degree our lives or church reflect that, we need to be taking heed of what Jesus has to say. For our good, but even more so for his glory. So this morning, Jesus is going to address Laodicea. And this is a wealthy church that has become so comfortable, entertained, and distracted that they've become useless for building God's kingdom. And my hope and prayer for this morning is we will see that the love of Jesus empowers us to escape the blinding power of wealth, that we might find our comfort and security in Jesus instead of our money. So let's be honest, money can do a lot of things. With enough money, we can provide for our basic needs. With a little more, maybe we upgrade from like rice and beans to frozen pizza. And with a little more, we could build a business, save for the future, buy a home, uh, alleviate poverty, cure diseases, or even wage war. While money is a powerful and useful gift from God, it can disappoint us so severely. And it does this by making promises that it can't keep. So when I was a kid, I built Legos. You guys know I'm an engineer, so that's probably not super surprising. Um, But around the time I was eight or nine years old, I started getting these magazines in the mail. Um, I had been officially dubbed a Lego maniac, if you're old enough to know what that is. Um, And so in these magazines, they were filled with pictures of all the sets that I didn't have, at least not yet. And I remember spending hours on the floor of my room instead of thankfully enjoying the Legos I already did have, like the thousands of them, I was poring over this magazine thinking about all the things that I didn't have. And when the next birthday or Christmas had come around, I'd get that set, and it was fun for a little bit, and then it would just disappoint and get boring. 
I think this is a really common experience we've all had with one thing or another. And while money promises to make us happy and safe, it's only Jesus that has the power to fulfill us and secure eternal happiness with him. So with that in mind, let's pray and read Jesus' words to the Laodiceans. Uh, Jesus, thank you for the chance to just preach your truth. Um, Thank you for just bringing us all here this morning to hear from you. You are gracious, loving, generous, and kind, and God, we just trust you. We pray that you'd help us to trust you more. Amen. So we're in chapter 3 of Revelation this morning, verse 14. Jesus has this to say. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open it and hear my voice, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who's victorious... I will give them the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So before diving into this letter, I think it's helpful to have some context about the city Jesus is talking to. So unless you uh, fell asleep there for a minute, you probably heard Laodicea is rich. Um, So this wealth primarily came from three industries, uh, banking, their medical center, and uh, selling clothes. And so Laodicea was at the intersection of two trade routes, one that ran north to south and another that ran east to west. And the banks in Laodicea would make a lot of money as goods would trade hands between people. Laodicea was also known for its medical industry, and while like idol worship and witchcraft was involved in these processes, there were also some practical medical cures that came out of the city. And one of note was this ear and eye salve that would really help reduce irritation. Finally, Laodicea was known for a rare species of sheep that had this really beautiful black wool. And wearing clothing made from this wool was something of a status symbol, maybe like driving an Audi or something today. One story that really highlights the city's wealth comes from Greek historian Tacitus, who wrote that in AD 60, there was a large earthquake that leveled the city completely. It also leveled nearby Hierapolis and Colossae. And Rome, in something of a, you know ancient disaster relief fund, offered money to Laodicea to help rebuild their city, and they turned them down. See, they had so much money they could rebuild the city on their own. And here in AD 96, as Revelation is being written, we see a city that is beautiful, pristine, and built from the ground up. And it's to the church in this proud and rich city that Jesus is going to introduce himself this morning. Throughout this series, I think Brandon has done a great job of talking about how who is talking to you has a big impact on how you hear something. Maybe if you're in college and taking a speech class and someone you don't like or doesn't get along with you says something crummy about the speech you gave, that might just kind of roll off your shoulders. But if a mentor who you really care about has similar feedback for you, you're going to hear that differently. And so at the beginning of each of these letters, Christ introduces himself in a specific way for each church. And here Jesus is going to choose two primary descriptors of himself 
that directly correlate to what's going on in Laodicea. He begins by saying, I am the amen, the faithful and true witness. You see, Jesus is starting out by reminding him that he tells the truth. The word amen communicates that something is set in stone, absolutely true. We say it at the end of prayers, which is a good practice, but throughout scripture, this word amen is often used at the end of a statement to show that the preceding statement was absolutely concrete. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, we hear, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You see, Jesus is saying here that he is not only someone who tells the truth, he embodies the truth. All the promises that God has made back to David, to Abraham, even to Eve, when he tells her, your son is going to crush the serpent, all of these have been fulfilled by Jesus. He says to himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't just say what's true. He is the truth. You see, Jesus has some really hard things to say to us this morning, and his encouragement it to us is because he knows our tendency to twist bad news to make it palatable. His encouragement to us this morning is don't do that. Don't bend the truth. Jesus goes on to remind him that he is the ruler of God's creation. And this descriptor also directly applies to the Laodicean situation. He's saying, I'm better than created things. I'm in charge of them. I rule over them. Romans 125, I think, diagnoses this well. It says they exchanged, we exchanged, the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. See, in their wealth, the Laodiceans have come to trust their created goods and their money rather than creator God. So if you've been coming to church here for a while, you know that uh, Brandon is a fan of alliterations, uh, and I'm going to steal one from him. So... Each week we've seen in the series that Christ introduces himself, that he commends each church for something they're doing, that he wants to just affirm. He, he carries on to criticize and then confront them, and finally to covenant with them. But something really interesting about this letter is we see no commendation. And this omission is really glaring in the context of the other letters to the other six churches. You see, Jesus has nothing in this church that he wants to affirm. And this really paves the way for the sharp rebuke that follows. Here we come to Jesus' criticism of the church, and his words could not be more poignant. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus' criticism of this church is that they think because they have money, they don't need Jesus anymore. And while they're supposed to be trusting Jesus as their greatest treasure, the truth that makes their blind eyes see, the one who covers their nakedness, they've come to trust their money for this stuff instead. You see, the primary problem in this church is not that they are rich. It's that they're proud. Their money has poisoned them, and they stand before God thinking they are great on their own, and that is a terrifying place to be. They've been deceived. They think their spiritual bank accounts are full, that they look amazing, and they know right where they're going. But Jesus says, you're pitiable. 
You're foolish, blind, and naked, running around like idiots, thinking you know what's going on, and proud of it. You're headed to grave danger, and you're bragging about it. Jesus' reaction is clear as he confronts them. He says, your comfortable indifference and lack of dependence on me makes me sick. I've been listening to a few different sermons on this passage in the last month as I've been preparing, and uh, J.D. Greer had a really useful illustration I thought about Jesus' words. It's about coffee. So if you work or live with me, you know that I'm like addicted to coffee. I drink hot coffee, like hot black coffee every day. I probably have like seven cups. I'm super addicted. It's like confession time up here. Um, and I'm a bit of a coffee nerd, and some coffee nerds hate on Starbucks. I like fully reject that. I think like an iced caramel macchiato is insanely delicious. And so the thing is like really hot coffee is super good, and like really cold coffee can be really good. But I don't know about you, but like sometimes it's like I'm doing the dishes after the kids have gone to bed. There's like always this mug of like one third full coffee that's like tepid and it's kind of the same temperature as the air around it. And if for whatever reason you've just decided, I'm going to take a sip and just see, like you know how repugnant that is. <laughs> see, Jesus is saying, This is how I feel about your pride and your self dependence. You see, in Laodicea, they didn't have a reputable water source of their own. They had to pipe in water from two nearby cities. So Colossae was about 10 miles away, and they had really cold, refreshing water. Their water source came from snow that would melt on the nearby mountains and run into really cold streams in the city. And this water was really refreshing and delicious to drink. Meanwhile, in Hierapolis, about six miles away, there were natural hot springs. Think of it as like an ancient jacuzzi. And if you've ever been in a hot tub, you know like if you're stressed out or you're cold, you get in there, it's really nice. So that water was really useful for something. But unfortunately, as these waters would come and get piped into the city, they'd become kind of tepid and, and stagnant. Some of these aqueducts have actually been found by archaeologists, and they'll tell you that the mineral deposits on the inside of these aqueducts were so thick, they could tell you that it probably reeked of sulfur and it had an obnoxious scent by the time it was piped into the city. You see, the water from both of these cities had become useless by the time it got to Laodicea. And here Jesus is saying that their comfortable indifference has made them useless for building God's kingdom. And it has blinded them to their need for Jesus. I was struck a couple weeks ago when I was preparing, and Brendan preached on Smyrna, I think the second or third letter. And uh, in that church, Jesus says, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. It stands at odds with what's going on in Laodicea. You see, these people have hedged their bets. They want just enough of Jesus to feel like they're escaping hell or condemnation, but not so much that he gets in the way of their agenda. Not that he would become their real treasure and joy and hope and security. Jesus says to them, No. I am the true and greater treasure worth selling everything to get. I am better than your money. Guys, the parallels between them and us this morning are sobering and clear. There has never been a more comfortable or entertained society than ours, ever. We have running water, showers, toilets, and we don't realize how big a deal that is, climate-controlled rooms, entertainment constantly at our fingertips. You can get food from any place in the world. Dubuque is not that hip. But it has like Chinese and Thai and Japanese and Italian restaurants and probably a lot more. Right after church or even now, if you just want to, you know, if I'm making you obnoxious here, you don't like what I'm saying, <laughs> you can go get lunch at any of these places and get food from around the world. Do you know how hard it was to eat a banana 
If you didn't live where bananas grew back then, you didn't get a banana. See, their wealth is nothing compared to ours. And even if you're not making a whole lot still, just climate-controlled rooms and, and running water are, are such a gift. And these things are gifts from God, but they can be used by Satan to twist us and to blind us to our need for Jesus. Guys, we're, we're so much like Laodicea and Dubuque, aren't we? We have this Midwestern, like, pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps mentality where you, you get a good job and you get a good family and you save for retirement and you earn and pave your way. But this arrogant self-reliance is a putrid, detestable thing to God who says, I oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. It's like God is saying, if you want to rely on yourself, you're making me your enemy. That's a terrible place to be. And the truth is, all of us are going to struggle with this to some degree, especially in our culture. And even if comfortable indifference doesn't primarily characterize you by God's grace, you need to know that temptation is very real. Being in our culture, it is so tempting to become comfortable and indifferent to the grace God shows us. This month, it's been really helpful for me to consider maybe a few litmus tests. And, and really, all of these hang on the same idea that if you're comfortable and indifferent, you won't take meaningful risks for Jesus. See, if you're comfortable and indifferent, you won't take meaningful risks in evangelism and staking your reputation as you reach your friends with the gospel. You won't take meaningful risks with your money because you're going to hedge your bets and just give enough to Jesus to get him off your back as opposed to pouring out your treasure for the one who saved you. You won't take meaningful risks with your time as you lay down your hobbies to one degree or another to serve God in his kingdom. You see, Jesus correctly diagnoses that this situation in this church is dire. And the question becomes, what hope is there for Laodicea? What hope is there for us in our lukewarm indifference before God? Starting in verse 17 again. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father in his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, even in the midst of their sin, Jesus says, I love you, and I want what's good for you. Notice the awful detail Jesus includes here. He's on the outside of their church. We have a church here that proclaims Christ, and by worshiping their comfort and their wealth instead of Jesus, they find him on the outside of the church but Jesus, in his incredible grace, doesn't walk away. He doesn't condemn them or us. He knocks on the door to his own house. And guys, he doesn't come as a beggar, but as the master of the house, expecting his servants to eagerly open the door and welcome him. Jesus is telling them, your city offers the best medicine, but I have the medicine you really need. The salve that's going to open your eyes to your sin and your desperate need for me. That's going to open your deaf ears to hear the good news of Jesus. Your city offers the best clothes, but I will give you clothes made of light that will cover your shameful nakedness, take away your sin. Your city offers gold, but I offer the real treasures that last forever. 
the treasure of knowing and enjoying me that can never be taken from you. And your city offers what looks like glory, but I offer to share my very throne with you, to rule over the new heavens and the new earth and the age to come. And the question then becomes, how can they buy these things from Jesus, like you said? What are they going to give in exchange for this radical wealth that Jesus wants to shower them with? I need you to hear this. Nothing. They give nothing in exchange for it. See, the radical truth of the gospel this morning is that Jesus bought all of this for them and for you and for me on the cross. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through your po- his poverty you might become rich. See, the Laodiceans do nothing to earn from Jesus. To receive from him, Jesus tells them, be zealous and repent. He says, turn away from trusting your money and turn to trusting and following me. And the truth is, guys, when we follow Jesus, it has radical implications for our money, our family, and our time. But following Jesus doesn't earn our salvation. Jesus earned our salvation on the cross. You see, Jesus isn't trying to take anything from them. He suffered to buy them everything. And that's what he did for you, too. There's a sermon illustration I've heard like a dozen times, I think like 10 times in my church in Cedar Rapids. My pastor there used it, and I've heard Brandon use it at least once, so I hope you'll indulge me because it was too good to pass up. There's this movie called Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, but it was actually a book first. And early on in the first story of the fellowship, um, there's this character named Bilbo, and he's a little fella. And uh, Bilbo has this ring. And he's had it for a really, really long time, and this ring is really dear to him. And he's about to leave on this long journey, and his friend Gandalf, who's tall and a wizard, he comes to his door, and he's trying to encourage Bilbo to leave this ring behind so ultimately it can be destroyed. And as Gandalf lovingly confronts his friend, we see Bilbo kind of show his teeth and claws and curl over and say, well, it's none of your business. It's mine. You have no right. It's precious to me. And Gandalf, not taking any of his garbage, and being a wizard, swells to the size of the room, and he says, Bilbo, I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. At this, Bilbo, at 111 years old, crumples on the floor like a child who's been scolded, weeping, hugging his friend, thanking him for his rebuke. He leaves the ring behind, and ultimately, we see Bilbo freed from this burden. This is Jesus this morning. As he confronts us in our comfortable indifference, On our dependence on our money, he's not trying to take something from us. He loves us desperately, and the cross is proof of this. You see, on the cross, Jesus suffered under God's wrath, the punishment you and I deserve, because he cares about you desperately. See, no matter how many guitars I bought or Lego sets I got, no matter how much money I've had in the bank account, I never felt secure or happy until God in his grace disarmed me and showed me the cross myself. Maybe this morning God is graciously showing you your indifference to him. Maybe like those in Laodicea, you've hedged your bets and your allegiance to Jesus is half-hearted. Know this, Jesus rebukes the one he loves. He hasn't brought you this morning to beat you over the head with your guilt. Rather, by the cross, he has bought you the riches of knowing him forever. And if that's you this morning, I'd encourage you to be zealous and repent by looking at the cross. 
to see how much Jesus loves you and the price he paid to have you. For some of you, this might just be another step in following Jesus. Is you really do belong to and trust him, but you've just seen yourself slide into some comfortable indifference and dependence on your money. But for some of you, I think maybe this is an opportunity to really follow Jesus and call him Lord for the first time and mean it. Or maybe some of you this morning just really feel a lot of ungrounded guilt and shame about being middle class. And one of the reasons that Brandon encouraged me to preach on Laodicea and kind of do things in shuffle mode here, because this is actually the last letter, but there's two or three more sermons coming after this, is because God has really worked through a lot of baggage with me in passages like this. You see, oftentimes when I read passages like this, I just feel guilty for owning a car and having an air conditioner. And if that's you this morning, I'd encourage you, be zealous and repent. Look at the cross. Jesus didn't die for you to make you feel guilty about everything that you own. Rather, he died to buy you the true and greater treasure of knowing and loving him. And as you see this, your giving and your serving is not going to be motivated by guilt and shame or fear, but rather by love and grace, knowing that Jesus was so gracious towards you. See, this is the great truth we remember each week as we take communion. We remember the price Jesus paid to save us. And if you trust Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf this morning, if he is your true treasure and your Lord, then whenever you're ready, during these next three songs, go back and take communion. But if that's not you this morning, I'd encourage you to hold off. You need to know that, as Brandon says every week, this people is for you, this church is for you, Jesus is for you. But come to Jesus before you come to the communion table. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the hard words that you speak out of love. God, I just pray that like the men and women and children in this room this morning would just have an incredibly deep sense that you care for them, that you love them, that you are for them. And Jesus, I pray that for your glory and for our joy, there would just be repentance in this room and joy as people turn from trusting in their things and turn to trusting in you. Amen.